0: Yes, we're going to be spending the next few weeks looking at the Psalms of David. Some of you might well remember uh, that uh, a little while back we began to uh, teach through the life of David and saw the lessons that David learned through his life, his early life. We'll pick that up at some point in the future. But for now, we're going to look at the Psalms that David wrote. and. Often what the Psalms do is they give us an insight into the inner workings of David's heart and mind. We see how he interacted with God, what he believed about God. It's full of theology, it's full of worship and full of wonder at who God is. And we're going to do that this morning. It also gives us um, ways to kind of strengthen ourselves. And that's what the Psalm we're looking at this morning is going to do for us, I believe. So if you'd like to turn to Psalm 103, I think the words will probably pop up for you, but if you've got a Bible, please do that. So I'm just going to read the first eight verses of this psalm, and it goes uh, as follows: "Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your iniquity and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit." who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Let's just pray before we look into the word of God. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's there to help, to strengthen. It's a foundation for us to stand on. And I pray, Lord, even right now, as we look into your word, Holy Spirit, would you come and make it live in our hearts? Lord, we need these words to strengthen our souls. We need these words, Lord, to strengthen our resolve and our mind, to build faith into us. And I pray for myself and my brothers and sisters watching today. I pray, would you do that for us in Jesus' name? We know that only you, make these words live I pray you would uh, in Jesus name Amen Amen so David knew the realities of living uh, life under extreme pressure it wasn't just Goliath that wanted to kill him Actually, uh, Saul, the the kind of previous king of Israel, he pursued him for many years to take his life and all of his armies as well. And then, of course, later in life, even his own family wanted uh, to finish him off. So David knew what it was uh, to live under extreme pressure. Um, he had to learn how to find faith and courage for himself and for those around him in the midst of these extreme circumstances. And this is uh, what he he did. And this is kind of uh, an insight into partly how he did that. Psalm 103 and many other psalms like it. Show us how did he strengthen that inner man? How did he go about it? And we'll be looking at that even as we read this psalm through together. So David in Psalm 103 is speaking to himself, he's speaking truth and faith into his own soul. What David knew was, he knew that the voice of life's troubles were going to be too powerful to resist unless he armed himself for battle. And that's exactly what he is going to be doing in these few verses. Now, there's a a very famous preacher from the last century uh, called Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He wrote a book called Spiritual Depression. Strange name for a book, a great book nonetheless. And this is what he said about this. Have you realised, he says, that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourselves instead of talking to yourselves? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake in the morning. Uh, You have not originated them, but they are talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday and other problems too. Someone is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now, this man in this psalm was instead of allowing himself to talk to himself, he begins to talk at himself. Why are you cast down on oh my soul? He's referring to Psalm 42, but it's the same principle. Why are you, so, why are you downcast on oh my soul, he asked. His soul has been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, listen for a moment, I will speak to you. And what, um, what Dr Lloyd-Jones is saying is, look, the voice that speaks to you, the voice that comes to you when you're, when you're kind of freewheeling, daydreaming, that, that voice needs to be addressed. Other parts of scripture say this, every thought needs to be taken captive and made subject to Christ. And that's what we need to do. That's what David is doing. We need to learn how to do that. And in these eight verses we're going to be looking at, there are five things that David reminds himself of, five things he used to strengthen his soul. And and I'll just briefly say what they are before we get into them. So he he says that God is a God who forgives sins. That's where he starts. Then he says God is a God who redeems. He redeems his life from the pit. He then says God is a God who satisfies. He's reminding himself that God satisfies us with good things, with the best thing. He says God is a God who works for the oppressed. He knows something about God's nature. And then finally what we will do is we'll look at a God who has done it before and will do it again. God who has been faithful throughout time. So firstly we're going to look at this God who is a, a God who forgives. He forgives, it says, all our sins and, uh, and cleanses us from unrighteousness it's an amazing thing and it's amazing really that David would start with that why would David start with a God who forgives Um, David knew of course that God is the one who is primarily sinned against when any sin is committed um, and why does he believe that? It seems a strange thing to think. Surely if you commit a sin against an individual person, that's who the primary uh, kind of object of the sinning is. But God, David knows different. David says, no, it's God first. God who's first sinned against. And the reason he believes that and he knows that is because God believes, uh, David believes in the sovereignty of God. He's aware of God's sovereignty. In Psalm 51, david it's a psalm of repentance. David is repenting for murder and adultery. And what David has done is he has arranged for Uriah to be killed in battle because he has committed adultery with Bathsheba, Uriah's wife, and she's pregnant with his child. And in that psalm, David says this, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. David is aware of the primary object of sin. Um, God is father of all, creator and sustainer of everything. And, is, uh, and he's always the one who's primary sin- sinned against. And David felt this very deeply. Um, it wasn't just an exercise in semantics. It wasn't just language, repentance for David. Um, it was a real living relationship with God. Uh, you see, true repentance starts with this deep acknowledgement that we've sinned against God. It's, it's a knowledge, not just words. Now, parents, you probably are aware that you can say, that you can say sorry and not mean it. Have you ever heard someone say, sorry? Uh, there, there's, you know we, know, we know that phrase, that we, I'm so sorry. Uh, and, but there's no repentance in those words. And now when David repents, it's full of genuine feeling. He knows God, he knows that he sinned against him. What's amazing is when real repentance happens towards God, how quickly God is to forgive. And David is reminding himself of the truth of that in order to strengthen his soul. Uh, David knew that God was this loving heavenly father. Now let me just tell you a story. Um, When I was 14, I crashed my mother's car into our house. Now, uh, as disturbing as that might seem to you, uh, I do need to tell you that wasn't the first time I'd crashed a car, but this maybe was more serious than the previous times. Anyway, I crashed it quite badly into the house. Um, Now, the minutes between crashing the car and me telling my dad about it were interesting emotionally. Um, You know, how on earth was I going to Tell him this, and how is this gonna go? What would his response be? What was gonna happen? What would the punishment be? You know, those many, many things rushing through my young teenage mind at that moment. How would it play out? So I went. And I confess what I'd done. I obviously couldn't have hid it. It was pretty major. It was going to take uh, quite a substantial amount of money to get it fixed. Um, But I was genuinely sorry. I was really sorry for what had happened. What did happen? How did my dad respond? Well, dad, if you're watching, I want to thank you for this response because this is what you said. This is what you did. He calmly told me, go reverse the car back out of its position of being crashed, and park it safely. Now, I was amazed at the time, and I'm still amazed that he responded that way. Um, That might not be our first thought or response, but why did he do that? And I asked him later why he did it, and he said this. He said, "I, I wanted to make sure that you weren't afraid to go and drive again. Now, it wasn't that he wasn't interested in the car or annoyed or upset or it wasn't require considerable fixing or a lot of money. But listen, he cared more about me than he did about the car. And it taught me a lot about repentance. It taught me a lot about forgiveness. It taught me a lot about God's love. And it leads us really well to my next point, to David's next point, is is this, that God is a God who redeems. God redeems He doesn't just forgive, it's not just a technical forgiving, it's a redemption, it's a buying back, it's a making good of something that was bad and God delights to be a redeeming God. He is a redeemer, it's a glorious truth and we need to remember that especially at this time and it says, he redeems my life from the pit. That's what David says in this psalm, that's how God works It isn't simply that God is, as I said, interested in the mechanics of forgiving, like a judge, you know, kind of signing a paper and off you go uh, free. He's passionate about people. He's passionate about you. He's interested in building you, making you into someone that can be used to build his own kingdom. Uh, Now, just imagine this. Imagine that um, in your family there is an heirloom, maybe an engagement ring from a grandmother, something that's full of meaning and history, something very precious to you as a family. Now, imagine too that you come upon hard times financially and you have to go and take that ring to a pawnbroker and kind of sell it or pawn it for money. Now, that's more than just a financial transaction. But now please remember or imagine the day when you go and you buy it back. It's not just a financial exchange. There's so much emotion. There's historical significance in that act of redemption. You're buying back something that's precious. It's full of meaning and history. That's the idea of God being a redemptive God. That's how God works. He wants to buy us back. He wants to make our lives count for something in his glorious kingdom. Is God still a redeemer is he still the same as he was then? It's hard to it's hard to look at uh, or, or read these verses about redeeming a life for the, from a pit without thinking of, of Joseph. Joseph, of course, was sold into slavery. But before that happened, he was hated and, uh, and put in a pit, literally, in the desert by his brothers. And I want you to imagine Joseph in the pit. He's, uh, he, he knows his brothers want to kill him. He's just on his own. He looks up and all he can see is a little corner of sky. Just imagine looking up into the desert sky from a pit. That's all he can see. Is God still a redeemer when Joseph is in the pit? Yes, absolutely he is. The promises of God are burning bright. The redemptive work of God has not stopped just because Joseph finds himself in a pit. And so David is exactly right. He says, he redeems my life from the pit. That's what happened with Joseph. That's what happened many times with David. That's what happens with us. And that's what will happen even in our current crisis. David knew God was a redeemer by nature. And he had to remind his soul of that fact to bring strength and courage to him. He's about... God is about so much more than changing the external circumstances of our lives. He cares like a father cares. He cares enough to change us, even though sometimes the process is confusing and perplexing. Next, what we find in verse 5, that God is a God who satisfies. He satisfies my desires with good things, so that my youth is renewed like the eagle's. David was learning the Bible clearly teaches and we're on a crash course right now that only God can satisfy because only God is good you see we could easily take a verse like this and start making demands of God for material things we could say things like God you've promised me good things where's my good stuff I haven't got enough good stuff where is it um, let's just listen to John Piper, who speaks into this uh, context. He says this, Dissatisfaction is, uh, in life is near the root of all kinds of sin. Why do people cheat on their spouse, abuse drugs and alcohol, mindlessly binge-watch ridiculous amounts of television, scroll endlessly on Facebook and Twitter, steal or commit suicide? All of these things and more happen because people haven't found happiness they have not found satisfaction at the root of our dissatisfaction is a never-ending thirst that nothing in this world can satisfy we've been duped into thinking that uh, that a better job or more money or cooler friends or another spouse or a new life is really what we need and if we can obtain any of these things uh Uh, or when they leave us, or if we can't obtain any of these things, or when they leave us dissatisfied, we resort to drug abuse, to sexual immorality or senseless entertainment to fill that gap. We can read a verse like this and assume God is actually withholding good things from us when he's actually offering the only thing that can genuinely satisfy us. He's offering us himself And David was aware of that. He knew that satisfaction could only come from one person, from one thing, from God himself. And the Bible is full of verses that remind us of that. Let's just think about a few of these. I'll read just four of them out to you. It says in John 6, Jesus says this, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus is saying, I am the source of your need and satisfaction. Then in Psalm 107, we read this. For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. He satisfies. Psalm 22 says this. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your, ha- may your hearts live forever. These are rich verses reminding us of where satisfaction truly is comes from and in Psalm 16 we read this, in your presence there is fullness of joy and at your right right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Now with the time that we've been given in the crisis we're in right now, we all have a little bit more time here and there, what I would encourage you to do is take some of these verses and others like them and speak them to yourself just like David is doing in this psalm speak them to yourself speak these good promises of God they will feed your soul be like David uh, in these moments let's just pray for a moment father we ask right now that you'd fill us each with your holy spirit with your goodness so that these words would live in our soul and that we would be satisfied next we find in verse 6 that he works for the oppressed The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed, it says. God sees us, you see, as we truly are. He sees us in the reality of our situation. Someone once said this. He said, as a person is before God, so a person is. You are no more or less than you are who you are before God. He knows the truth of our hearts. The truth from the only perspective that really matters, his perspective this it's not my truth or your truth or some nonsense like that God sees us as we are the truth Psalm 139 says this you discern my going out and my lying down you are familiar with all my ways but for a word is on my tongue you know it Lord completely you hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me such knowledge is too wonderful me for me too lofty for me To attain, God knows us as we are and he cares for us. He knows that beyond the trappings of success or the struggles of failure, that he knows our humanity and that we need rescuing from the oppression of sin. This, of course, is the great story of the Bible. This is the great story that we read page after page, chapter after chapter. Mankind trapped in a hellish mess of our own making, being oppressed and oppressing others, and going all about it all as if it were just normal and natural. We're so deeply soaked in this that we often have no idea that it's happening at all. And and culturally what we do is we consistently and with great skill and vigour treat the symptoms of this oppression because we can't believe that there's actually a cure. But God works righteousness for the oppressed. He himself is the source of power and behind his, this working. What he does is he draws into himself all this evil and its consequences and he takes it with him to the grave, banishing it forever. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says this, "'Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest.'" Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's worked righteousness and justice for the oppressed in himself on the cross, which is why our solution and the freedom from oppression can only be found in him. And why he says, come to me, because it's only in him that we can find freedom. And finally, what we find in these verses that David speaks to himself is this. He has done it before and he will do it again. There we find in verse 7, he made his ways known to to, to to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. David reminds himself of God's historic faithfulness. It was a way of teaching, in fact, to do this. It was a way uh, that the Israelites would teach one another. They would tell the stories of the past. It was an oral tradition. They would speak it to one another. Um, It was a big part of their community life together to tell the stories of what God had done. But they actually added something when God did something remarkable. What they would do is they would pile up a huge pile of stones, a vast pile of stones, and they would call it, it was called an Ebenezer. Um, And these Ebenezers would be reminders of God's faithfulness. And what would happen, what was supposed to happen, is as they walked about day by day, the children would say, what do these stones mean? And then the story could be retold of what God had done. Now let me read you this uh, from one of the the fathers of this great city, George Muller himself. In the greatest difficulties, in the heaviest trials, in the deepest poverty and necessities, he has never failed me. But because I was enabled by his grace to trust him, he has always appeared for my help and I delight in speaking well of his name. That's George Muller speaking uh, way back in the 1870s. In the 1870s, what George Muller did was responding to a terrible cholera epidemic here in Bristol. He built those orphanages like the Ebenezer's Maybe when we can get out again, we should go and look at them and remind ourselves of what God has done historically, even in our city. God has provided. He's worked his redeeming power in this city before and he will again. That's our reassurance that God is a redeeming God. God spoke to us as a church, hasn't he, about opening the wells of of Muller and of Wesley and of Whitfield. And maybe part of what we're experiencing is how those wells will eventually be opened again. Of course, these are metaphors for God's faithful provision, for God extending his kingdom even in the midst of difficulty. So what I want us to do is to remind ourselves, go through this week, remind yourself of God's goodness, that God is a God who saves. God is a God who redeems. God is a God who, who works for the oppressed. He's a God who has done it before and he will do it again. I'm just going to pray for us and then we're going to have communion together and worship. Father I thank you that you're a God who has worked before that you will again. I thank you Lord that you are concerned for the state of our souls. Thank you in the midst of crisis you're a God who stands with us. I thank you that David knew it, Joseph knew it, uh, George Muller knew it and Father I pray that we would come to know it too that you are with us, that you are strengthening us. And through the words that we've heard this morning, I pray, strengthen our souls, build our faith and give us courage. In Jesus' name, amen.